episodes of Quinty. I'm Katie and that's Kay. We are your underqualified babes chatting with qualified people to learn more about the baddest and brightest people and events in the Quinty area. But first, let's catch up. Stop. Stop. <laughs> it sounds like you're doing it. That's what like my bed in first year sounded like. Yeah, I had one. If you were like doing the day, it was like. <laughs> yeah, when I was in, when I lived in Toronto, when I moved out of Kate's dad's place, I very briefly lived by myself and I had like a metal Ikea bed. Yeah. And it like would squeak. It was like a, a, a cot. Like some people, some of the dorm rooms had like these really nice beds that would rise, like single mm-hmm. beds. No, I had like one of the old school metal frame. Nice. Yeah. Oh, good time. an experience, though. In that bed. <laughs> Joking. It was first year and no one knew what they were doing. Okay. Yep. Welcome to the pod episode. I was wrong. This is episode nine. Nine. I know. We're almost at ten. And friends, you have been truly amazing because we have 500 downloads. We have 200 Instagram followers. I'm just like on top of the world right now. You're making two depressed individuals real happy. Keep it up. The fact that we have 500 downloads just like blows my mind. I was like, that means like people have listened to us. Our first episode has 94 down. I'm like almost 100 people have listened to us speak. That's insane. I still don't quite understand why. Because we're hilarious with our but. self-deprecating humor. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's catch up. Yeah, so do you want to start with your, your week? So, now I can finally tell you why my last week was a shit show. Because it is officially out. Um, Jeanette and I are off the farm. Because of some mm-hmm. planning, farming Generational planning, this is like a thing in the farming community, like succession planning, trying to pass a farm from parents to children is like notoriously hard. Like there's literally succession planners to help you do this. I had no idea. Yeah, you pay like an absurd amount of money and they help you do it. But I think that would have been really helpful. And it just got, we were living and working with Jeanette's mom and it just got to a point where it was not healthy anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, Jeanette and I, last week I moved, we moved out of the farm. And we're slowly separating everything. So we're like heartbroken. I think we're in like, it's like going through a breakup. We're like, well, going yeah, because it's like you have all these like, and like all the animals. Yeah. Like, what's happening with that? Like, do they we like have to buy sell? New homes? Yeah. So, so her mom's going to buy our sheep off of us. We're going to sell the water buffalo, which is like heartbreaking. And then I'm trying to find a home for my pot belly pigs. Oh, the pigs. So they'll go to like a farm and then. And then I think we'll give all, like, we have a bunch of chickens, and they'll go to, like, Jeanette's nieces. I really want a chicken. I'll bring one. I'm not allowed to have a chicken because the condo rules <laughs> in my complex are, no like, you can't have chickens. And I'm like, damn it. I know. I feel like, so now we're, like, yeah, it's been three years of this. And it's kind of funny. We were talking last night because we never really dated, I guess. Like, we met. Yeah. And she was working wildfire and farming, and I was working three jobs, and then I would just come to the farm. Mm-hmm. So we were so busy, we never really dated. Like, we would just come to the farm, farm, and then, like, make out, make out and lunch <laughs> and eat food. Like, that was that was it. And then I moved in. Like, that yeah. was it. So now it's like, oh, we're dating. Like, I'm living at my parents for a bit. She's living in a trailer at her sister's. Oh, my God. And it's so funny because she told, she's like, 
I'm a little bit homeless right now. And all her nieces know. And they're like, you're homeless. Oh, no. <laughs> but she's not. She's okay. That's a yeah. lot, though. It's a lot. And it was like right before my brother's wedding. Yeah. So there was, yeah, it was a week. Eh? It was a week. And then I think the hardest part was we didn't want to like steal the thunder from the wedding. Well, yeah. Obviously. Naturally. And we weren't really sure where we stood with everything because it was so fresh last week. So at the wedding, everyone was like, how's the farm? And oh, I was it's great. like, it's so great. <laughs> so I've cried a lot. I've laughed a lot. I've been angry. But now I'm kind of just like, I think we're just like phasing out of it. Well, just it'll take time. It'll take time. And, and now we have to like find a place to live. Well. So if anyone had, knows somewhere. You let me know what your budget is. I'm really good. Yard. Yeah. I'm really good at this stuff. Well, I just took my dogs to my friend's house and she, they're, they have a fenced in yard. And I was like, yeah. this is amazing. Oh, yeah. My yard's fenced in too. It's great. Oh, I'm going to bring my dogs there to run around. It's not a big yard. <laughs> That's fine. There's no grass because I can't. What? Okay. So when I moved in. Um, Don't you have condo fees that pay for this? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a front yard. Mm-hmm. And a backyard. Mm-hmm. And when I moved in, they had just finished digging out. Like, there was part of the basement that needed to be fixed okay. because it was leaking. Okay. So they had to completely dig out my entire backyard to be able to get to this part that they needed to fix. I don't understand what happened. So when I moved in, yeah. I didn't have grass. And you still don't have grass. Well, no. Here's the thing. <laughs> I did have grass at one point for about two summers. And then I killed it. It's like it, this summer, it just didn't come back. Oh. It was like, no, we're done. We've had enough of that. That's weird. I so feel like, like there was, there's like some grass, but it's like mostly like clover and like leaves, like weeds. Okay. So I need to like get one of those like rolly things for the lawns to like flatten, flatten it all out. It. You have to like aerate it and then. Yeah. Like I have to like it. really like put some time and effort into it. So that's probably going to be a tomorrow project if it doesn't rain. She's just going to do your whole lawn in a day. It's not a big space. It's yeah. like the size of this room. Oh, okay. That's so it's doable. not massive. Oh, yeah. But like I have like a little deck and everything. Oh, that's it's, nice. I it's, like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a sweet little backyard. Oh, And like there's it. trees behind it. So it's like there's like a pathway behind all of the condo backyards. Oh. And then it's just all trees. So it's like not really I do like where you live. We're it's not super private. It's, it's great. Don't want stalkers. Yeah, safety cuz we're so good looking. Everyone's going to stalk us. Yeah, no. Have you ever had a stalker? No, have you? Yes. More people than you'd think have had stalkers. Mhm. Very concerning. Yeah. Who I, I, stalked you? Some guy from the internet. Like multiple people actually. So Tell me more. <laughs> this, this is terrifying. Yeah. So once it was when I was like 16, it was this guy from like New York and he called. And you're my- in Timmins. Yeah. In the middle of nowhere. Um, he ended up like calling my house and my mom told him to like where to go. She's like, why is a grown man calling you? I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Did he find you on the internet? Yeah, so it was just, I was just part of, like, this message board, like, for... Those seem dangerous. I don't do message oh, board. Oh, yeah. No, and this is when, like, you know, like, AOL chat and Yahoo chat was, like, the big thing. Chat roulette. Yeah, like, Dicks all that stuff. Everywhere. It was just, like, it was rampant. And actually, from the same message board, it was another guy. And when I was closer to about 20, he called my workplace looking for me. Yeah, I know. It was crazy. I just, sorry, I watched an interview Mm -hmm. and it was saying like, so it was 
a, a female comedian. I don't know her name, but this is very off topic of what you said, but it just, <laughs> just got it me works. thinking. So it was like, why does Pete Davidson, he, he pulls like all these like super attractive women energy. because he's funny too. Right. Yeah. And so this female comedian was like, I thought like I would be dating all these yeah. men, but the definition of like a funny man is like someone making people laugh. Yeah. The definition of a funny woman is someone who laughs at your jokes. Oh, I don't know if that's true or she just said it, but I was like, this is why men find me offensive, even though I'm hilarious. Yeah. Or maybe I'm a fan of it's like, no men. No, it's it's I think it's like a confidence thing. Like men are like intimidated by women who have like are outspoken. Yeah. I've been told, like, do you like to belittle men? And I was like, no, I'm hilarious. And I'm like, I'm not belittling you. I'm just telling a joke. Like, yes. Like, so a thing I like no. to do in bars mm-hmm. is like get men. I If I like someone's T-shirt, like mm-hmm. uh, usually it's a man's shirt. I'm like, I'll switch shirts with you. And they're like, great. I'm going to see boobs. Plot twist. I just put their shirt on and take my shirt on off underneath. Yeah. Don't get to see boobs. That makes sense. And then they're like, then this man was like, you just belittled me. I was like, no, I didn't. I just uh, got your shirt. No, you're just like, pre- like you just presume. Like, yeah. Not like presumptuous is the wrong word. But like that you were going to see my boobs. Yeah. So that's my, this is a tangent, but that's a good tangent. Now you have the podcast burps. Yeah, but our guest today says that burping is good for your energy. That's very true. Yeah, I want to tell them about my plant. Oh, do it. And my bulk barn. Yeah, because we have to do the reveal video of your bulk barn purchase. <laughs> okay, so um, I got a plant in the mail, and I'm very excited about it. And I'm going to post it to our Instagram stories. Um, but it's very cute. And it's very cute. It's a Monstera Thai constellation. You cannot grow them from seed, which is why they are so expensive. Then where did they come from? It's a genetic mutation. Oh. So it's a Monstera, like, that you see, like, just in Home Depot or whatever for, like, 20 bucks. Um, it is a beautiful little plant. She's adorable. Um, and I'm very excited about it. I squealed when I opened the box. Because I was wondering when it was going to come. I was thinking about it last night. I was really worried um, because it shipped on Monday. Oh. And it's been sitting with Canada Post since Monday in a what dark would you little do box. If they killed your plant. I'd cry. Would you get like a refund? I have no idea. Hmm. I emailed them yesterday though because I was concerned. I was like, I'm a little worried that it's going to come dead. Yeah. Because, you know, the lack of light, plants need light. Um, but she came and she was like, a, one of the leaves is a little bit roughed up, but I mean. It'll come back. I don't, well, it's like bent. Oh. Uh, but I mean. Super glue? No. I don't, no. I don't, you can't fix leaves oh. like that. I, it's just, it's one of those things. I'm not a plant person. It's a I'm new leaf though, which plant. is why it hasn't like fully hardened yet. That's so. what she said. <laughs> I'm watching a lot of The Office lately. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, definitely post pictures of it and then post it next to your other plant. Cause I thought they looked alike, but she did school me on plants and showed yeah, me a picture. I, ha- I like the plants. If you have plant babies, send us. I really, really love plants. Our guest today. Our guest today. I'm very excited. I'm so excited for you guys to hear This that. was like, I just sat in awe the entire chat because so I was just like, yeah, I just wanted to soak in everything. I'm hoping we can keep having her back to do like little education. I would love it. Thing. So, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between, enjoy our chat with you're about to find out. Okay. 
And I burp. Hold on. She burps a lot. <laughs> I she can't has also, heartburn. So I was going to say, that's an energetic, it's a way I do energy work too, yeah. right? And that's an energy movement thing. Really? Yeah, like burping and farting. And it's like a thing that like when you're doing healing work, um, if you're like holding other people's energy, you just like let a big burp and release it all. Like that's a thing oh my that gosh. happens okay, in healing well, work. So that's what you're doing. It you're might it like, might be that you're just holding like stuff. Okay. It could be hard burp, <laughs> but it could just no, be. No, I am holding a lot of stuff. Yeah, so you could just be releasing it. Oh, right, maybe so. Maybe it's a good thing you're burping yeah. so much. Okay, honestly, it always feels better after I do yeah, it. Yeah, it does. So. Just like Shrek said. Um, we're excited to introduce our guest. She is a local queen who grew up in Deserano and currently lives in Tyendinaga Mohawk Territory. She has a wealth of knowledge of Indigenous peoples in education, Indigenous food systems, Indigenous peoples in Canada, and so much more. No offense to our previous guest, but she is definitely the most educated we've had. She has a Diploma of General Business from Fleming College, a Diploma of Mohawk Language from Trent University, a Bachelor of Education specializing in Aboriginal teaching from Queen's University, a Bachelor of American Indian slash Native American Studies from Trent. And if that is not enough, she is working on a Master's of Sustainability from Trent University. She has been a course instructor at Trent, Loyalist, and Fleming College, as well as an Indigenous consultant at Fleming Employment Services, and is currently an instructor and curriculum developer at the First Nations Technical Institute. She is a mother and is currently in the process of building a house. I had the pleasure of having her as a teacher at Fleming College, and I can honestly say she is one of my favorite educators. She is kind, passionate, and full of knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in in between, please welcome Nikki Auden. Auden? Yeah. Auden. We got yeah. there. We got there. <laughs> Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you for coming. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm super happy to be here. On this really gray day, unfortunately. It's yeah. very gray. But I I'm like super the excited because the gardens are like screaming for yeah. it. So as a food person, um, and watching the gardens suffering over the last few it's weeks been of so dry, dry and hard. heat. Yeah. yeah. It's it's super exciting to see the rain. Do you have a garden at your house? I have I just have a couple of things this year. I have some beans in. I have some gar I had garlic. I'll put garlic in again in the fall. Um and uh that's all I did this year. The birds took off all my tomatoes and <laughs> oh, I was no little discouraged this year so yeah um yeah we're gonna work on that again for next year and get some fencing put together there <laughs> yeah it's the things you don't think about when you're doing a garden you're like this will be fine and mm -hmm. then all the little animals take your yeah your and that's part of the teachings for for us is like when you plant you plant enough to eat you plant enough to grow again next year so that you have seed for next year mm -hmm. and you also plant enough to make sure the animals are fed too, because we're taking over that space. Right. And oh. so I'm um, taking away from their natural food mm -hmm. um, system. And so, so we plant enough to make sure that they can have some and we will still have some and we'll still have enough to plant for seed next year. So it's all part and parcel of the, the, the program, I think. Yeah. yeah. That makes Five. me really happy. <laughs> Cause I feel like usually people just get frustrated by the animals, but that's the secret. You need to plant a little bit, extra. plant a little bit extra for yeah. them. Yeah. Put a little bit outside of the fence, like put the fence up, but put a little bit outside of the fence too, so that they can share in the, in the harvest. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I have so many questions for you because you were my teacher at Fleming and then I found out you were from Tyndanaga, which was so fun. And then I'm not doing what I went to school for, but. Lots of people don't end yeah. up doing what they go to school for. Yeah. Yeah. And Super common. So I guess 
my first question for you is, did you always have a passion for indigenous curriculum and education or how did you start? I never wanted to be a teacher. Okay. I never, never wanted to be a teacher growing up. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> and now you're and very much a teacher. it's the only thing I do. It's the only thing I can, <laughs> it's really the only thing I know how to do. No, it's not. Um, but, but yeah, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a translator interpreter because language was my oh. passion. Language has always been my passion. Yeah. So growing up, I did French and Spanish and German. Getting into high school, they introduced Mohawk mm-hmm. in my grade 13 years. So that dates me just a little bit. So it was um, late. Yeah. And so I took one some, one term of uh, one semester of, of Mohawk in, in high school. Then I went to Trent University in mm-hmm. 1992, way back in the 1900s. That's, that's uh-huh. not, it sounds like you're saying you're from like 1901. Like, it feels like it's so right. Are you from medieval time? <laughs> so, so 1992, I went to Trent mm-hmm. and I, so coming out of high school, I didn't have the grades to get into the translation interpretation course. All my language courses were high, mm-hmm. but things like history was not. And you know what I mean? Yeah. So my, I brought my average down. You needed an 82 to be considered for the translation interpretation program. I graduated with a 78. You're so um, close. I know close. It's, it's gross, right? Yeah. It's gross. It was so close. And so, um, so I was a little bit de- deterred by that. And then I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but because I fell in love with speaking Mohawk, mm-hmm. um, I thought, I guess I should just go take some indigenous studies courses and maybe be a teacher. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, so that's the path I, I ended up taking. Can you yeah. tell us a bit about the Mohawk language? Because it is, lo- it's lost. Is it, that the correct thing to No, say? it's not lost. It's never been lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of had to go underground for a while because of colonization. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it was at one time illegal to speak the language. Stop it. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. In the Indian act, um, it was actually against the law. You could be jailed for speaking the language in a public place. You could speak it in your home, um, but you couldn't speak it out in public. And, uh, um, and so, so it did, it did have to go underground for a Mm -hmm. long time. Um, but we try not to use words like lost or, um, just because it, it seems like it's just, it's erased. Right. And then we don't want to try to erase things like that. It's very much in a revival stage right mm-hmm. now, um, or a resurgence stage, really. There are a lot of, uh, every, almost every, I think every Mohawk community has an immersion school for elementary level um, school oh, kids. Oh, so school kids, start. Yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, so, and, really and, cool. and often at the preschool age, like there's language nests where parents and children can come mm-hmm. together and learn because a lot of uh, parents haven't been able to get that, that education well, now, though, some of those kids who have been through elementary school in immersion mm-hmm. are becoming parents. Yeah. Um, uh, in some communities, they've had it a lot longer than in our community. When do you know when the immersion program started? And uh, let me think about this, because my youngest, we can circle back. Per- yeah, my, my youngest person went there, my youngest child, and he's now 19. Uh, he probably started when he was five or six. Okay. So it's been, it's been a little while. Um, and now those kids have all just graduated from high school. Mm -hmm. Like the first cohort of that school have all just graduated from high school in the last year or two. And so that's pretty cool for us Mm -hmm. as, you know, the, the first group of parents, you know, watching that and, and the impact of that. So Mohawk is a polysynthetic language. So it, it uses both sides of the brain simultaneously because instead of, you know, in French and Spanish and uh, we just kind of like every word is a separate word, right? I will go to the store to buy a shirt, right? 
in Mohawk, those just become prefixes and suffixes and prefixes and suffixes and more prefixes and more suffixes and squished into a 25 letter word, right? Like it just becomes this great big long thing. So your brain is constantly calculating what's happening. Um, And so you're building math skills at the same time that you're building language skills, which normally doesn't happen when you're studying like English or Mm -hmm. French or whatever. Um, And so because of that polysynthetic um, aspect of the language, so yeah, so that's what, that's a pretty unique feature I think of of Mohawk, and be, and because of that, like a lot of our kids graduated elementary school with math and science awards after not oh. having spoken any English in the school until grade five. Yeah, right. They would go to school in immersion in Mohawk until grade four, and then five to eight was English with Mohawk oh. as a secondary language, like you would learn French yeah. in, in the schools here, right? Um, and so, so that was pretty cool to watch that happen, right? Like um, you've learned Mohawk, learned Mohawk, and and there's this. There's a sort of a stigma that if you learn a second language in school and in, in immersion, mm-hmm. that you won't be up to par in English. But it only took our, our students maybe one to two years to catch up on advance beyond their grade level in reading in English. Wow. So I thought that was pretty cool, too, like yeah. to just watch that, you know, progression. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like, too, if they're using both sides of their brain, it it almost it's just like training your brain to learn these things it, it teaches your brain how to learn yeah that's the that's I'm the like cool i part. needed that growing <laughs> up because neither sides of my brain were working very <laughs> hard i had you as a student i know that's not true <laughs> well now they're doing okay now they're doing okay <laughs> that's so cool and i feel like as someone who grew up in belleville and and i said this in your class actually like mm-hmm. i always felt there was a separation between belleville and ty and Denega. So as someone from Belleville, I never knew, you know, there was the immersion programs or, mm-hmm. or what school schooling was happening. So. Yeah, that happens in most indigenous communities that there's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. And I'm, again, that goes back to the Indian Act, right? Yeah, it it was illegal for non-indigenous peoples to be on territories. Mm-hmm. There are trespassing laws to be on territory, right? Like and yeah. so. Um, still today, a lot of first, uh, non-First Nations people are intimidated to go into community mm-hmm. for any kind of events. Like, for example, a powwow. Right. I, I just last summer was asked if there was a powwow happening at a I was at the laundromat, you know, doing my thing. And uh, a lady was there from out of town and we'd been talking and she's like, is it OK for, you know, white people to go? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's. Part of the whole thing is to yeah. get non-indigenous you, you people there. You told me this this summer. I was like, I didn't oh, know that. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, it's it's part of it. It's like for us to come together and mm-hmm. celebrate that we're still here, that we're still doing our things, mm-hmm. that we're still celebrating, we're still wearing these clothes, and also that we're evolving yeah. in what that looks like, right? Because um, another thing that happens in the minds of people is that what we were in 1900 when or 1700 even when, when Europeans were out here, that's what we should still be doing, right? And so there's that mm, so not static, no, yeah, yeah. static culture concept, right? Um, and so, but but we've, we evolve er, just like everybody else, right? Like mm-hmm. every culture around the world is constantly in evolution. And as human beings in, in the English language, we're constantly evolving, right? And so, so too is true of indigenous peoples. And so so we see what what people are doing, you know, and and how pe- indigenous peoples are adapting yeah. with Western culture. Right. Like with the, the dominant culture, you know, like I don't know if you've seen, but there's a huge indigenous like baby Yoda movement. Like what? baby Yoda has been adopted by indigenous Stop people. It, really? What yeah. does this mean? And Tell so, me like, more. You can go on 
you look up uh, like any kind of like memes or gifts with indigenous baby Yoda, I'm right? Like, right now. Uh, like it's, I don't know what the baby Yoda is. It's got a name and I don't know what it is, but I don't know it either. Oh, there's like beadwork. There's beadwork. Stop there's, it, really? yeah, no, it's so That's beautiful. So We're going to share this. Oh my goodness. This is amazing. And so you'll see people at a powwow now, like wearing indigenous, like yeah, look, baby this, Yoda beadwork. <laughs> like, this person has a full like baby Yoda in regalia. Oh, in a, in a, I don't know what we call that in Mohawk. I only know the Ojibwe word for it. It's a cradle board. Mm-hmm. Um, in Ojibwe, they call it a tiknagan. Um, But I don't know the word for it in Mohawk. That's funny. Oh no, <laughs> I don't know the word for that. How? It's because I never had one. Um, yeah. But. I follow this really cool girl on TikTok and she teaches Enoch. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, is her name Christine? I think so. I love Christine. Yeah. No. And it's just like, I, I was like, this is fascinating Mm -hmm. and she's like constantly engaging her followers to like and then teaching about her culture just through tiktok Mm -hmm. and it's like i think that's like such a great way to reach absolutely young people there is an entire native tiktok section like if you've it's so amazing and i think for me as a white person sometimes i don't know how to approach Mm -hmm. like the topic or how to ask questions necessarily and so i found like social media to be very I'm like, okay, here's a place to start. And I follow someone and she does a lot of um, indigenous food. And so it's like the traditional beluga and and elk and like eating food raw. And it's just like nice. learning that. As we talk about that, I'm going home after I'm done here to put a caribou heart on the roaster. So, so I'm so going to need you to share a photo because that it's just. And and for me too, food, like I know you love food mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. teaching food. So um, that's one thing for me, just in all food systems, like minimal waste. And I feel like indigenous cultures do that so well using all mm-hmm. parts of the animal and, and respecting the animal. Absolutely. As- and I don't, at the same time, I don't want to stereotype and like mm-hmm. pan indigenize that because a lot of our people are in modern society, just like everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And so not everybody has the capacity to do that. Yeah. Right. And so those who are hunters and fishers and trappers and still working on the land and doing that work, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But not everybody is in that place. And so I really want to make sure that we don't sort of romanticize indigenous peoples in a way that is not a hundred percent accurate. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a thing that happens a lot. Like, Oh, here's this one narrative that must be all indigenous peoples. Right. And that's not ever true. You know, like, um, it's very different even just in one community or even within one family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I joke a lot because in, in Tyndanaga, there's a big difference between, we just say the East End and the West End. Oh. Um, in terms of uh, maybe outlooks or, mm-hmm. I don't know, There's but there's a difference in who we are as yeah. people, right, on the East End and West End. And so even within my own family, like my, my brother who's passed away now, but um, there's a very difference between me and my brother. Like we're, we grew up in the same family with the same mother, the same dad. Like we went to all the same ceremonies we went and we still have a little bit different beliefs. Right. So, <laughs> so when we think about like, um, who indigenous peoples are, we have to think very mm-hmm. co- like individual collectives, but individuals, yeah. right? Like, and so, um, the idea, you know, and, and even it happened in my a master's degree from a man who is very conscious of yeah. it, but it's so easy to just fall into. So what is, what do you think the indigenous thought is around? And I'm like the, what indigenous thought, like the who's indigenous mm-hmm. thought, like what, what is it you're trying to like, I can only speak to my indigenous thought, right? Yeah. Which is me as a, a Haudenosaunee 
Mohawk specific woman from the east end of Tainanega who spent a lot of time with Anishinaabeg people in Peterborough because I went to Trent two, three times now. Yeah. (laughs) I'm on my third round at Trent, right? So I've spent a lot of time, you know, so, so my perspective on that, I can tell you, but I can't speak to, you know, my neighbor's perspective Mm -hmm. or the, the Mm -hmm. Anishinaabeg perspective or whatever. Right. So, so the same is true with, uh, with these ideas of who we are as a people. Right. And, um, yeah, yeah, so, but, but yes, that is historically the way things were, um, and through colonization and through, evolution Mm -hmm. that has kind of dissipated a little bit, but still to the best of our ability, that's exactly what happens. We use the most of everything that we, so that we don't waste, whether it's plants, whether it's animals, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Yep. I'm just in awe right now. Yeah, I'm learning so, like, I could just listen to you talk for, like, hours. I'm just, like, learning. That's good, because I could talk and talk, and that's one of the things I... I tell them, I'm like, well, I did get the gift of gab. If there's nothing else in the world I can do, it's talk. Perfect. You're on our podcast once a month. You don't have to start your own. Just come here. We got you. Um, so you grew up in the area in Deserano. And then um, how, when did you move? So I grew up in Deserano, in the town of Deserano. Okay. And so it's funny because growing up, I didn't know. Like my, my father's not indigenous. My mother is. I didn't know my mother was not allowed to move back to the reserve because oh. of the Indian Act. There's, if you do nothing else, if like if listeners do nothing else, please read 21 Things You Might Not Know About the Indian this Act. This jumps to one um, of our other questions that we're going to come to yeah. next, but keep telling us um, this story. And so my mother married a non-Indigenous man. She's My mother is what we would consider like full Mohawk, like as far back as we can find, there's Mohawk. And my father is not indigenous at all. Oh, apparently there is something, but anyway, not enough to say so. And so um, because of that, my mother lost her rights as a First Nations person because that's how the Indian Act was written. If an indigenous woman marries a non-indigenous man, she loses status and all rights associated with status. Right. So she can no longer live in her community. She can no longer like build land, build on the land or whatever, whatever. Right. And so we lived in Deserano my whole life and we would visit my family on the reserve. And it never put in my mind an association that the people we lived or that we visited on the reserve were my uncles who were indigenous and their wives. So many of my uncles also married native women. Mm-hmm. Um, however, but like it didn't register and I didn't know anything about the Indian Act. I didn't know anything about being indigenous at all. I knew I was Mohawk. I knew I was mm-hmm. Turtle Clan. And I knew I could never marry another Turtle Clan person. Those were the three things I knew about being First Nations growing up. I didn't know what anything about culture or language or anything like that. And I just certainly didn't know about the Indian Act and that my mother was not allowed to move back to the. So I just would tell people like my mom's too proud. Right. Like she's she doesn't <laughs> yeah. want to bring this man onto the reserve yeah. because he's not indigenous. Right. I didn't know she wasn't allowed to. When did and you? So in 19, that? Not until not until very much later, like okay. when I was in university. Oh, okay. Um, taking Indigenous studies, yeah. learning about the Indian Act. Right. That, the Indian Act is not something that's taught in schools, mm-hmm. and so even in Indigenous schools. So I just want to be clear: not just not in not in non-Indigenous not in schools, school. but not in yeah mm-hmm. at all. And so it wasn't until later that I I was like, oh wait a minute, and then I realized. So growing up, there was um, you know sort of racist childhood behaviors, right? Like, uh, because I was Mohawk in a non Mohawk school, mm-hmm. even though I realized now growing up probably half a dozen to 
maybe 10 of us, two handfuls, were all Mohawk and we all didn't talk about it, right? Yeah. And now as, as grownups, I'm like, wait, you, what? You're Mohawk too? Wait, what? You too? Wait. You know, and so yeah. so we didn't we didn't all know that about each other. And I don't know who else's experience was similar to mine, um, but I know that I did get a lot of um, sort of racist comments about being uh, brown. I was browner than I am now. And, and listeners can't see that. I, I'm i very white presenting. Right. You wouldn't if you walk down mm-hmm. the street, you wouldn't recognize me as an indigenous person. But as a child, I was very brown. And I'm like, maybe that's from not going outside as a grown up because I do all my work inside, yeah. mostly, except for gardening. But anyway, so then finding out in university about Bill C-31, where in 1985 they gave rights back to those women who lost their rights through marriage. So, so that's when my mother got her rights back. Me and my brother and sister got our rights as Indigenous peoples. Um, and so status, that's what that means, right? You got status back. And so it's so complicated. The whole business of being Indigenous is so complex and and like layered and complicated mm-hmm. it's it's incredible and not the best way <laughs> well, I had so. a friend who worked for child services mm-hmm. for Mohawks of the Bay of Quinney and like one of her key roles was helping people gain status again mm-hmm. because it it's not easy no well you have to make sure you have to find your genealogy and mm-hmm. that that's not the easiest thing in the world to do right you have to be able to prove that your family tree says that you know, you have whatever level that they're looking at. Right. And indigenous peoples are the only people in the world who have to, who are sort of pedigreed in that way. Right. Like, like you pedigree dogs and you yeah. pedigree horses, but you don't pedigree people. No. Right. If you're uh, American or Canadian you, and you marry somebody from France and they move here and they become, and that, that's just it. Right. Like you don't have to prove, yeah. you know, and every fruit, every few years you have to renew yourself as an, as a first nations person. So do you right? have to like, prove it again? That depends on which card you have. No. Oh, my, <laughs> oh my God. God. Yeah. So if you have, yeah, it, it's very complicated, right? You may have to produce documents again. Um, if you have this secured card, right, every few years, every, I don't know how many years, but I think it's every four or five years or something, but you have to renew your card. And some people will say, well, you have to renew your license, but a license is a privilege, mm-hmm. right? This identifies so you different. as, uh, yeah, as a nation or like as a, I don't know. It's Anyways, like who you very, are versus, yeah. you know, something you what want. What you're allowed you can, to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like you have to prove who you have to I learn am. how to do driving, right? Like, yeah. yeah so, so it's you don't have to learn to be. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, right. It's just something I am like you. Yeah. 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 And so, and there's a, there's a, there's a lot of rules around that and it changes all the time because now recently in 2011, there was bill C3, which was a MacGyver case in out West that, that said that if you have one grandmother, there's this whole, so with these women who got their rights back in 1985, if they married non-indigenous, they were not able to pass status on to their children. So that would be me. So if my mother uh, has passed on status to me through Bill C-31, mm-hmm. if I had married non-Indigenous, my kids would not have status. But if my brother married non-Indigenous, like it's it's different, right? So, mm-hmm. so. Oh my God. Anyway, yeah, it's very different. So, and it's I, so my family is a perfect, it is, it is super complicated. And without a picture, like without being able to visualize it in front we of your a audience, di- I don't want to try to explain it. Yeah. Dry yeah, like- yeah, this is how it goes. But yeah, so it is very complicated. So they try to, they're still trying to rectify that. So in, in 2011, Bill C-3 says that now the women mm-hmm. uh, who have 
some like C31 status can also pass on because there's a discrimination between the, like if my mother and her brother both married indigenous, non-indigenous peoples, her brother could pass on status. She could not. Yeah. Right? So do, that doesn't. Yeah. Because of the way. It, yeah, you're right. It doesn't. And so, uh, and I might, I might have that not quite a hundred percent, so I don't want to say for sure, but no, that's okay. um, yeah. I, if I could draw, I would show you because it happened in my family and my, can do my brother's here. family where I married an indigenous man who did mm-hmm. not have status because his grandmother lost her status. Okay. And so my brother married the same amount of what the Americans would call blood quantum. Okay. Americans do things differently than in Canada. Mm-hmm. And it's because like why would it 25%, be 50%, like whatever. Mm-hmm. And you get like one sixteenth or whatever. Like it's really, it's really quite outrageous. But in my family, my husband's grandmother mm-hmm. lost her status when she married a, a, a German American man. Okay. Um, got her status back and gave status to my husband's father in 1985. But he married a non-Indigenous woman, so couldn't pass on anything to his kids, which is my husband. Okay. My brother's partner, her grandfather was Mohawk, who married a non-Indigenous woman. So she became a Mohawk at the same time that Indigenous women were losing rights. Non-Indigenous people, women, women who married Indigenous men gained rights when they got married as status Indian people. <laughs> That's so messed right? up. And so, and so, well, if you think about the purpose of colonization, right, it was to eradicate yeah. mm-hmm. indigenous cultures and peoples so that Europeans could come and yeah. have land and resources and all of the mm-hmm. things. And what better way, especially in indigenous cultures where many of the cultures were matriarchal people right matrilocal matrilineal mm-hmm. or what have you right depending on the peoples um where bloodlines ran through the women right mm-hmm. teachings ran through the women they were the ones doing those things right men were hunting and trading and warring women also traded i don't want to say it was only men again let's not pan indigenize yeah. right but um and so but that a lot of that comes through the women right mm-hmm. uh if for mohawk people your bloodline comes through your woman mm-hmm. the the mother side the the clan system comes through your mother's side and so if you're trying to do that the best way to either assimilate or get rid of any kind of blood history is through women mm-hmm. right and so if you're getting rid of the indigenous women and bringing in european women right into families then those European values are getting passed down. Right. And so it's very strategic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and so this is what happened before 1985, non-indigenous women who married indigenous men gained status and bill C31 did not address any of that part. Right. They maintained status. They Mm -hmm. still maintain status today. Right. But it only addressed the fact that women lost their rights and got those back. And so they're still trying to rectify that. So here, my sister-in-law, her father, no, her grandfather was Mohawk, married a non-Indigenous woman. So now those children are considered still full status, right? Air mm-hmm. quotes. Oh. Um, so even though they're only what you would consider like 50% yeah. blood quantum, and this is, oh, the politics of being Indigenous, but so 50% blood quantum, but full status. Okay. So on paper, it says mm-hmm. you're a full status Indian. So those kids, 
um, are able to pass down, right? So, so my sister-in-law's mother marries a non-Indigenous man, mm -hmm. just like my father-in-law married a non-Indigenous woman. But because the mother over here has full oh. status and this man is a Bill C-31, he can't pass status, but she can, even though they're both 50% mm -hmm. blood quantum, right? So my sister-in-law now has half status. Like, we, I think we call it 6-2 in Canada. Uh, I know. And that's a whole, the 6 and one six two thing is a whole other story, but. I've never even I know. Heard let's of not that. talk like about that okay, at all. No. <laughs> because it's so confusing. Uh, yeah. And so we, we definitely need a visual for it, but. Um, we're going to, next time she's coming, we're doing a video. Yeah. <laughs> so then would your kids have to. So. It's really different. In Bill C, when Bill C3 came, my husband qualifies for Bill C3. Oh, okay. Because, because of the uh, gender discrimination in, in the Indian Act, they try to rectify that with Bill C31 and it didn't fully rectify that. So there was a, a court case in the West Coast. The MacGyver case that said this is not right. And so they changed it up a little bit. And so my husband was able to apply for uh, his status. And when then he got his status under Bill C3. And then my kids were able to get status. Wow. You yeah. just answered so many questions from my childhood. Yeah. I grew up in Northern Ontario. Okay. Um, and like when in the spring, when Attawapiskat would like flood, mm -hmm. they'd all come to Timmins. Yeah. And like... We just had like in in schools and stuff. They were like I'm trying to say this and like not be a douche. The white kids didn't associate mm -hmm. with the indigenous kids, mm -hmm. and it was me and a couple friends. Like we made friends with everybody. Like that's just how we were. Yeah. And they would always talk about like this stuff, and I just it never processed in my mm -hmm. head because I was a teenager and all I really cared about was and it finding cigarettes you. and yeah. yeah I was like, sorry, was it drinking just punk booze? Rock? Is that all you? Yeah, it was literally do? just I. We cared about punk rock, and yeah. um, this just makes so much more sense now. Like, mm -hmm. there's like all these things are clicking, and I'm like, oh yeah. my gosh, like this makes. And if it doesn't apply to you, you have no reason to want to learn it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so. So the general majority of the population, it doesn't apply to, right? And this is only First Nations, right? This doesn't apply to Métis and Inuit people. Mm -hmm. Inuit. Don't say Inuit people. Sorry, that was my bad. Because Inuit means the people. Um, oh, okay. So you'd be yeah. like saying, it's like saying chai tea. You're just yeah. saying tea tea, right? Yeah. Inuit people means people people. It's just really silly. But anyway, I, it's a habit I have from my childhood and I still do it. So, so I'm trying to catch myself. Um, so it doesn't apply to Inuit or Métis. Okay. Um, and so only First Nations peoples in Canada. Mm -hmm. Right. And so and it's very different in the United States. Um, and the terminology is very different in the United States. And the rights and all the laws are very different in the United States than here. Was like that here. a challenge then? Because your husband. American. American. Was that a challenge? A uh, little bit. Not really, though, because his his genealogy is from my community. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's Mohawk from here. Oh, okay. But born and raised in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, like here we call, and this is, again, there's so much in the nuance of it all. Like we call reserves, reserves, there are lands in reserve for Indi Indians, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. lands in reserve for Indians and Indians, because it's still called the Indian Act. Um, we are still on our band card status card is still certificate of Indian status. It is not politically, socially acceptable to call people Indian. Mm -hmm. Um, however, <laughs> Some people claim that, right? Like in the in the West, I know uh, on the plains a lot. People like probably wear that title, right, of Indian. And I know Rosanna Deerchild on 
uh, oh, she's so fierce on the CBC. She mm-hmm. used to do um, Unreserved mm-hmm. on the CBC. And uh, she once said to me, and it's just stuck with me. She's so funny. Um, there's this uh, idea that nobody's really afraid of an Aboriginal. Like nobody's really afraid of a First Nations or an Indigenous person. Mm-hmm. But if you tell somebody you're Indian, everybody gets a little bit scared. Like they're like, wait a minute, you know? And, uh, and, and so, and she's from, she's from the West. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure, like Manitoba, maybe somewhere out there, but um, which is a very different culture than what we see in the mm-hmm. Quinney area, right? Okay. Uh, their statistics are much higher than us in terms of foster care and incarceration and stuff oh, okay. like that. Um, and ours are high. Don't get me wrong. Ours are high, but in the, in the, Plains area, it's incredibly high. And in my own mind, and I don't know if there's any truth to this, but they also had a much higher population per capita of residential schools than oh. in our areas. Like our, mm-hmm. our kids had to travel quite a distance. But if you look on a map of where residential schools were located, mm-hmm. there were a lot in the plains, a lot. Yeah. And so I don't know if that trickles down and, and creates a culture of something different than yeah. what we see here. Um, I'm not for sure, but. Anyway, so they still call Indian okay. uh, quite naturally. Um, and a lot of older folks still do mm-hmm. because that's what they grew up with. And I still catch myself doing it, too. And I'm only 48. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I'm going to own that on the radio. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I still because that's what I grew up knowing myself mm-hmm. as was Indian, you know. But but now I've come to a place where I try to use my own name for us. And that's what I would encourage people to do is, you know, every every indigenous community or peoples has their own name for themselves uh, as Mohawks. And Mohawk is a funny word, right? Mohawk is an OK word, but like it's from a Narragansett people and it actually means people eater, right? <laughs> like who wants to be called that? I do. It's kind of bad. Like, just embrace it. But, yeah. But so it's, but it's not like the Sorry, best does term. Does it mean people eater in In mo? terms, no, like, in Narragansett, which is another indigenous community. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so and another indigenous uh, nation, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's not exactly how you, they said it in Mohawawak, I think. But I'm not 100% sure because I don't speak Narragansett. But mm-hmm. it, that's how it looks when I see it written. Um, but so... So we, our word for ourselves is Ganyangahaga, mm-hmm. right? And if you see it, you won't know how to pronounce it because it's been standardized and it doesn't look, you know, K sound like G, a T sounds like a D. Oh. None of the English rules apply, yeah. right? There's sounds that we don't have in English like, mm, you know, and so there's these things, right? Lengths and, and glottal stops and stuff like that. So to look at it, you might not be able to figure out what it says, but the way we say it is Ganyangahaga. And so that refers specifically to, and it, it's defined as the people of the flint or, or chert maybe, but this t- particular type of rock, right? Mm-hmm. And so because that's where the, the landscape where we were from. So, so that sort of describes us. And that's how you'll find a lot of indigenous peoples are described by their geography, right? Mm-hmm. By what's happening around them, the landscape or the the location, if they're by a river or by a rapid or by a, you know, standing rock or whatever, right? These are all descriptions of places. And so, and that's how the people identify themselves according to the land, right? Because our right. cultures are so in, like entwined with the land, mm-hmm. there's not a separation of those things. And so, Ganyangahaga, you know, is what we use for ourselves. Ungwehungwe is like original people. So what we would use for all 
sort of indigenous peoples, okay. right? And then we have specifically uh, in Mohawk, we say the Rodinushuni, um, which is the Confederacy, the word we have, like the people, they, it means they make the house. Um, but it refers to the Haudenosaunee Confederacy is what the most common term, which is an, an Onondaga term. Uh, Haudenosaunee, Haudenosaunee is exactly the same word, just different dialects of language. Like the Haudenosaunee is a Mohawk, Haudenosaunee is a Onondaga word. So in that, like that describes an alliance that came together, oh. right, of the, they say originally in the five nations. So the Mohawk, the Oneida. Onondaga, Cayuga, and Seneca. Um, and then later they say the Tuscarora. Some say the Tuscarora have been involved a long time, but um, the narrative I know right now is that the Tuscarora sort of came under that umbrella a little bit later. Um, and so, so yeah, so that's an, a, an alliance. So, so when we talk about Haudenosaunee, we're also talking about Mohawks or Ganyagehaga. Mm-hmm. We're also talking about Oneida or Onayotdaaga. Right? Like we're also talking about all these other groups, right? Um, but if we're talking about Ganyak Gehaga, that's only Ganyak Gehaga. That's only the Mohawk people, right? So, okay. so there's these terminologies, and ideally, get to know the the, the people nearest you, mm-hmm. right? Like, get to know what do they call themselves, right? Because that's the most respectable thing to call them, mm-hmm. right? Is by their their own nation name, right? And so we talk about like nationhood. We talk about community, right? Like communities are named differently like we're Thai and Danega or Mohawks of the Bay of Quinney but we call ourselves Gontege right and so that's just an old people remember that that's what we call it right and that there's a couple of different bodies of thought it may come from a sort of evolved or slang term um Gahandage, which means on the on the field mm-hmm. right which is very descriptive of Thai and Danega if you've ever been there it's pretty flat it's pretty flat it's pretty flat there's a few hills but no like no real. Yeah. I don't even think there's like a roll. This is, yeah, there's there's Eagle Hill. We got that one. No. <laughs> so so yeah, but it is flat and it's all mm-hmm. agricultural land, right? Which is great, but um, but if you go somewhere else, uh, it's like the place of the Standing Rock where there's one big, you know, or the place of the Rolling Hills, mm-hmm. right? Like so, there's these different things, um, and so the other body of thought about Tainanega is that it could be because. So before us lived the, the, the Mississaugas of the Credit, mm-hmm. um, who are now located in like the Six Nations. There's a, a pocket there where the yeah. Mississaugas have been relocated to. Um, and so in that area up by like Hamilton, Brantford in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were here when we arrived. And I don't know all the politics of that transition, but that was 1784. Um, before them at some historical point that I don't know were Hurons. This was oh. a Huron community. And we know that as Haudenosaunee, as Haudenosaunee people, because our stories say that the peacemaker who formed the Confederacy, who brought those nations together to in an alliance, was born in Tyndanaga. We are the 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 birthplace of the, the peacemaker oh. um, at Eagle Hill. And he was a Huron man. That's those stories that have mm-hmm. been told down through generations, right? So we know that at some point this was a Huron community long before. Uh there are some theories that that could have happened around 1142. People who like studied a really um, long time ago. Yeah, some people who studied uh like moon phases and mm-hmm. solar eclipses and so forth like that. I think it's solar eclipse stuff because part of that that story of that that peacemaker 
<clears throat> down in New York where we were all located before we came, split up through colonization and wars and stuff, um, was that there was a total eclipse in this particular area, I think near Cohos, but uh, Cohos Falls. Um, and so people who studied eclipses sort of look back when would be the last time there was an eclipse in that area. Right. And I think it was 1142. Wow. And so whether it was that eclipse or a different eclipse, yeah. we don't know, but that's the earliest that they think it could have happened. Right. So, so we're talking a very long time ago, right. Um, that it, this might've been Huron mm -hmm. territory. So, yeah. So that's, that's kind of a cool little snippet of like, you know, and then we came up here during the like 1784 or 1780. There was that revolution, right? The American and then wars that I'm not in history. Remember, I even mentioned I didn't do well in history. Uh, <laughs> so, but I know it did happen. Something there. Um, yeah. And then is Tyandonega a Mohawk word or was that? Yeah. So Tyandonega is the, the name of um, a man named Joseph Brandt who okay. traveled from. New York, who is a very political person, uh, very active in politics, did a lot of um, negotiations with the British, um, mm -hmm. was actually educated in Britain, was taken oh, wow. to the taken to England to study. Um, but anyway, so he did. He brought a party of people up to Tynanaga and then on to Six Nations. So so Tynanaga oh. and Six Nations has families who are related to each mm -hmm. other. But that was his name, De Gayon Danega. Um, and so, again, there's that, you know, I can't really say that properly, so we'll call it Tayan Danega. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, which happens a lot. The word Deseronto is a Mohawk word, Deserunjo. There was a Captain John Deserunjo. So, um, so, yeah, there's all, there's so many words. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty cool because I was noticing in Picton or across in the county, I'm not sure if it's exactly in Picton. There's a Schoharie Road. Mm -hmm. um, and if you go down to where the Tainanega Mohawks are from, which is um, like the Fort Hunter area, there's a Schoharie Crossing. There's a state historic site called Schoharie Crossing, which is actually the the village place of where the Tainanega Mohawks came from oh. at Schoharie Crossing, where there was a fort there. And then outside the fort was a village of Mohawks that we were some of the people that came up this way. Uh, but down that way, there is... It's Schoharie Crossing, and there's a whole town of, yeah, and I'm like, and then there's a Schoharie here, and I was like, what? They brought the name with them. That's kind of cool, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, And if you don't ever go down there, you will never know mm -hmm. that, right? And so kind of seeing that relationship was pretty cool. And I, I have only ever known um, uh, the county to be home to maybe Cayuga folks in across the Confederacy, not to say Mohawks never spent time there, or mm -hmm. but that it was a, a largely Cayuga area. Um, and so I thought that was pretty cool, though, that there was a Schoharie Road. And I'm like, I know this place, <laughs> you know, um, I used to I spent a lot of time yeah. down in the valley where where our people are from teaching down there as well. Wow. Um, and uh, learning mm -hmm. and learning, doing my I did some of my undergrad research down that way. So oh, um, that's cool. So you yeah. get, I don't I guess it's not like a co-op, really. It's like, would it be like just a placement like when? Uh, no, I just went down there to do research. Like I was doing a paper and I'm like, yeah. I want to do some history stuff on my community. And so I went down and researched in the um, archives of the state museum. Wow. Um, as well as at the Schoharie Crossing State Historic Site. So it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I got to see the baptism records of of the the First Nations, the Mohawks of that community, which oh was gosh. kind of weird. Yeah. yeah like before is... we all came up here. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's pretty neat. 
I was thinking about resources too. And yeah. And one thing I pulled up because we had to read this in your class and it's mm-hmm. very interesting. Um, 21 things you may not know about the Indian act. And I believe it's a book. It is a well, book. Okay. Yeah. Well, it I'm is a going book. to read that yeah. because, and, and if you're not a reader, you can go on YouTube and watch an interview with oh, the author okay. who talks about Beautiful. it we'll share that. with Stephen Pekin. Pekin. Thank you. You're yes. Welcome. And so um, he does an interview with Bob Joseph and talks about it. And so there's a, a YouTube if you're not a book reader. Um, is it an audio book? It is an audio book. Oh, I just saw it on audio. Lovely. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because yeah, I love audio books. Sorry, yeah. I was Googling it as we were no, talking because I remember yeah, reading um, it. Another one is the class, the one, the textbook that we used for class, which was Indigenous Rights by Chelsea oh, Vowell. Okay. And she talks about contemporary issues for First Nations, Inuit, and Métis in that book. And so we're talking about, so we often hear, and this is one of the things that happens right now, and is we keep hearing about the traumatic side of Indigenous peoples, right? Mm-hmm. Residential schools, mm-hmm. 60s scoop, and it needs to be learned and it needs to be taught. Absolutely. I feel like we're coming into a place soon, or if not now, soon, where we get to start teaching about the beauty of it, mm-hmm. right? Um, the like things like Indigenous communities uh, across Canada uh, contribute $30 billion a year annually to the, to the economy of Canada. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not a statistic we know that no. I found that on a, on um Royal bank of Canada website. Wow. Right. And so I was That's like, wild. why we don't know yeah. that. Right. That's something for indigenous peoples to be proud of. Mm-hmm. We keep hearing about trauma, trauma, mm-hmm. trauma. If you keep hearing about trauma, you stay in trauma. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we need to also start as we're teaching trauma, also teach the beauty and the benefit, like the, the positive side of indigenous cultures and, and peoples and contributions and all of those things. Right. And so, so there's different things like that, like that we just, we don't hear about. And mm-hmm. so, so I feel like that's the place we're moving into, right? We, we definitely need to know the history. We definitely need to know the trauma because that explains where we're at today. Mm-hmm. Right. But how we move out of there is by learning this other stuff. Yeah. Right? Like the and amazing, that's the exciting, yeah. that's the exciting part is that. There's these beautiful cultures, these beautiful languages that are coming back. Yep. We're still down, right? Our numbers are still low, Mm -hmm. but there are people actively working in every single community. I guarantee you across Canada and there are 633 indigenous communities in Canada. Right. And I guarantee you every community is working on revitalizing language, language and culture as a means to heal. Mm -hmm. Right. And bringing back those things so that we can see the beauty in who we are again because of that disconnect with through colonization and the traumas that came with that. Um, and, and moving into a place of thriving as indigenous peoples, thriving in economy, thriving in identity, thriving in language, right. Thriving in all those things that we haven't been, I'm hoping soon it's going to be thriving in health. Yeah. Right. Like that's my, uh, my master's degree is Mm -hmm. in like indigenous health stuff. So, um, moving towards a more indigenous paradigm of what is health and how do we, how do we assess and monitor health of indigenous peoples? Um, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, well, you know, you're you coming back, back yeah. right? <laughs> I'm like, I can listen to you speak. Like uh, I, I just learned so much. I learned so much. And we've, oh, we've been talking for an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. And it's just like, it's, I could keep, I so could good. keep just like, thank you. <laughs> and so, and I think it's just like, there's so much that need that is available to be learned. Mm-hmm. And so we're just touching surface level oh, stuff. Yeah. Right. And, and there's so much like, um, 
we could have a whole day of just indigenous music, mm-hmm. a whole day of just indigenous film, mm-hmm. a whole day, you know, a whole thing, like a podcast, right? Yeah. A session. There's, we could do one a week for 52 weeks and never lose yeah. track yeah. Of, of topics, right? And so... So some of the things like if if you're not really sure you want to do all this like heavy stuff, there's a great film called Rumble um, that talks about indigenous influence in rock music. Very right? cool. It is. And it's fabulous. And you'd be amazed. And, and at who is indigenous right mm-hmm. in the rock industry. And then there's another film called Real Engine, like R-E-E-L, like film. Mm-hmm. I-N-J-U-N. Oh, yeah. So engine is one of those words that has been historically used as a. Uh, derogatory term engine mm-hmm. um but so again a reclamation so real well, it's engine. a documentary and so is a documentary of indigenous peoples in hollywood right like wow. in film and how indigenous peoples have been portrayed in hollywood and the impact that that has had on mainstream mm-hmm. populations right as well as indigenous populations so pretty cool stuff like to be able to start to look at in a really easy to digest way yeah right uh and so those were some of the ones there's some fun ones. Um, like, I just went and watched this Run, Woman, Run. It's I feel a, like I've heard of that. A filmmaker, a producer in Six Nations, Zoe Hopkins. I, it played here in Belleville. I missed it here. Went to Peterborough to watch it. And it's a beautiful, comedic um, film, like fictional film, that, that addresses diabetes in indigenous communities right and in a really fun and beautiful way Mm -hmm. um engages with a historical figure tom longbow who is a a onondaga runner Mm -hmm. um like has one marathon and whatever right so and then there's some inuk inuit film like the angry inuk or um the fast runner that sort of gives you some insight into authentic inuk society right Mm -hmm. like um and so when you're thinking about like what to consume in terms of indigenous, whether it's literature, whether it's film, whether it's whatever, right? Like, uh, like the thing to think about is ask yourself, who is producing this thing? Mm-hmm. Who is the author? Who is the artist? Who is the whatever, right? The filmmaker. Are they indigenous? How do you know? Like what community are they mm-hmm. attached to? Like what nation Um is the story a pan-indigenous nation like story or 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 concept or whatever? Or is it community specific? Mm-hmm. Is it nation specific, right? Think about those things when you're consuming. You might not always know I can identify this author as definitely this is an indigenous author, but do some research, you know, look yeah. them up. Mm-hmm. Because of unfortunately, uh there have been some incidences, and maybe you've heard and maybe you've not, but of people who have claimed indigenous identity in oh. order to benefit from indigenous narratives Mm -hmm. um but also there's like things that are specific to indigenous money is funds that are indigenous specific to encourage indigenous writers that people are accessing or um arts or whatever right or awards right Mm -hmm. that are specific to you and so that has happened historically there's been a few in relatively recent um sort of film and literature events um and you want to try to steer away from that, right? Like as much as possible, there's no way to do it 100%, mm-hmm. but do your best, right? Like do your best to consume authentic indigenous content, you know, and there are some local art, uh, authors and there's some, uh, local artists and, you know, musicians and mm-hmm. stuff, uh, indigenous folks and that are, 
you know, Gallery 121 in, in Belleville does every year an, an Indigenous art yeah. event. Um, you know, the, in the county, there's there's really good stuff happening in the arts community, including Indigenous peoples. Um, and so so look for those things. Mm-hmm. Right. And and involve yourself if you're looking to learn a little bit more. Right. Um, talk to people when they're when you're at those events. Don't just go and look at their yeah. art and leave. Right. <laughs> uh, talk to the artists that are there or whatever. Yeah. Right. Get to know. The best thing I can tell you is get to know some indigenous peoples, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think we're pretty awesome. Yeah, you know, and we all have so much, such different things to offer, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's entrepreneurs, there's, you know, healing people, there's food people. They're, they're just like in every community, we all have those things, right? And so indigenous peoples are no different, right? And so. So get to know, get to know somebody whenever you can. And, um, and it's a little bit tough. There's a <laughs> friend of mine went to, uh, out to Saskatchewan to go to school and she is, uh, I, I don't remember what nation she's from anyway, but, uh, my friend who is Mohawk from here engaged with an elder out there. She was like fascinated by the fact that, that my friend was Mohawk. And she's like, you know, that's why you are so pale. Cause, because we're from the East coast. In before we came to Canada, we were sort of like Eastern New York over mm-hmm. towards Vermont in yeah. that sort of area. That's our sort of um, traditional territory. Uh, she said, uh, you guys have been intermingling with the Europeans for the longest. So that's why you're <laughs> such pale skins over there. <laughs> I'm like, that actually makes a that lot of sense. sense. I'm like, cause, cause colonization happened from the East and moved Westward. Yeah. Right. No, that so, makes sense. so, so that took yeah. longer and longer. You know, we talk about contact as this point of 1492 when Christopher Columbus showed up in the Caribbean. Yeah. But that's only their point of mm-hmm. contact. Right. Uh, they came North at different periods. And so contact was different for every Everyone. indigenous nation. Yeah. Right. And so, and in the North, it's a v- very recent, you know, it's wow. relatively recent. Yeah, I guess that's just things, too, I've never even thought about. Yeah, Yeah. so there's multiple points of contact, right? There's no one period where contact Mm -hmm. happened, right? And so just things to think about. But yeah, anyway, I don't know where I was going with that story. No, you have been amazing. Is there anything before we wrap up that you want to shout out? Any, like, socials or events or things? Um, Well, the Mohawk Fair is coming up September 9 and 10. It is going to happen. Unfortunately, our powwow didn't run this year, but... um, that is going to happen. And yes, people from other communities are welcome to come. <laughs> okay. Not just for the I'm gonna, people. I'm going to put it in the community. So what can we like too. expect at the fair? Um, mm-hmm. Fair stuff. It's just, yeah. yeah so it's but, just like- but you may find the things that will be different at the fair mm-hmm. is you may find indigenous food vendors. You may find <gasps> indigenous arts and craft vendors. It sounds right to my You know what I mean? <laughs> you said but there is still like- a, yeah, there still is a midway. There still is a, mm-hmm. a, a demolition derby on Friday night. There still is, um, I think there is a wrestling event happening this year, which will be oh my fun. Gosh, that's so fun. Buy your advanced wristbands now. Yeah. Well, and so, on the Facebook page. So, yeah. So, so that's a fun thing. Yeah. Um, I don't wholly know um, what's available to the public right now. Um, I know there are some small community events, but. And there's the pop-ups are happening. Pop-ups even. in the park every, every weekend, I think. Every Saturday, Sunday. Every Saturday yeah. and Sunday in the Powwow Park on Bayshore Road, which mm-hmm. is also called G. Jitkeri Hodon Park, I think, um, which means under the pines. And if you, if you, when you go there, you'll know why it's called that. <laughs> it's just a, a whole park of pine trees. Um, but yeah, so I think that's the event stuff. I know Everybody's you're on had, LinkedIn. So. Everybody's, yeah, I am on LinkedIn. I'm going to add um, you on LinkedIn. Okay, please do. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, That's how I got on a side note. It shows that I'm I'm working with Primerica now, which is absolutely true. Yeah. Um, it's not showing me as a. I think it doesn't show me as primarily an instructor right now, but I am an instructor at FNTI yeah. on the reserve. You know, I, I, I was living in Peterborough, mm-hmm. teaching at Fleming, going to school at Trent, um, relocated to come home and build a house and accepted a position here at FNTI, um, where I'm currently developing curriculum, um, which I love. Mm-hmm. That could be a thing I could do forever. I love teaching also. Shocking. But I only love to teach. <laughs> I don't love to mark. Like yeah, the marking part is the thing that just is not my favorite. You know? I would be the marker. Oh, yeah. I, I can't speak, <laughs> but I'm like, give me anything technical and marking like yeah. right up my alley. Yeah. And the thing about in teaching indigenous stuff is there's nothing technical about it. Right. <laughs> like that's if you taught math or if you taught science, there's technical stuff, yeah. but there's so much reflection. Right. Yeah. And and so you have to really assess where people are at constantly. Yeah. Um, and so it's a lot. You you are involved. You are mm-hmm. seriously committed to marking once you start marking stuff. Yeah. It can be very emotional and it can be Aww. very personal. And yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's just time consuming and exhausting, right? Yeah. yeah. And any teacher will tell you the same thing. Report card time if you're in elementary school, gross. Oh yeah. Gross marking time. Except for that. Yeah. But, elementary but the reward is out out outweighs it by mm-hmm. by by all means, right? Mm-hmm. Um the reward is far greater than for most people anyway, yeah. I'll say that for most people, I can't speak for all teachers by any means, but, but connecting with students for me, um, I've realized that my, my ideal teaching age group target market, um, <laughs> is, is young adults, right? Yeah, like I yeah. love teaching at the post-secondary school mm-hmm. level because of the connections that you can make really. Yeah. I love teaching at the elementary and high school levels because of the, the way you can lift people up yeah. and bring their, you know, like for me, teaching is about this is a whole other conversation too. Um, but I like the teaching thing is a whole yeah. other conversation, but is teaching people how to be okay in life. That school's not really everything. Yeah. You know, because we've put so much emphasis on school for so long yep. and education is important. And I never will negate the importance of education, but education happens on so many levels all of the time. Constantly. We are in mm-hmm. constant modes of education, right? But school itself is not the be all and end all. Mm-hmm. And you have to be well, yeah. In order to benefit from school in any way. So as a teacher, my focus has always been on making sure that you're okay. Yeah. And I know you know that. That was um, one of my favorite things is she would, when we had it, cause we were in Zoom class. Yeah. She would check in with us like once a week and be like, is everyone doing okay? Have you like checked in with yourself? And, and not enough. I, I, I never had anyone do that before. And I was like, oh. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I can, I don't have to only be a student right now. I can yeah. still be a human. Yeah, because you can't focus on your studies if, you're, if your spirit is not well, if your physical mm-hmm. self is not well, yeah. if your emotional self is not well, right? All mm-hmm. those things. If those are not that. in check, <laughs> right? You. Then you are not going to retain anything I'm teaching in the first place. So what's yeah. the point? Yeah. Right? The same with, like, that happens all the way from, from pre-K straight on through, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're not well, you will not learn. And so that's why there's, you know, food programs. That's why there, you know, there's all yeah. those things to try yeah. to help make sure that people are okay, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, all those things. And so, so I think that's the thing is my favorite thing about teaching is connecting with students in a way that helps. How do you mitigate anxiety when anxiety, what about when you're going to go write an exam, right? Oh, yeah. How do you approach oh, that? Right. I passed and out so many people before an exam cannot do it. Yeah. I can't do it. And because the pressure is so much. Right. Mm-hmm. And so. So helping students with tips like that, how do you get through mm-hmm. life 
when you don't have enough money yeah. or you don't yeah. have enough support in the area. Like we had a lot of international students and you're here by yourself completely. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. so what are those things? I think that's the biggest thing that I love about teaching. And if you learn the other stuff, great. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But if I can help you be successful beyond my classroom, beyond this educational experience, then I've done my job mm-hmm. and I will never know as a teacher. I will need, you know, unless you get a hold of me in 10 years and be like, hey, well, I have latched on I'm to okay. you. Yes. So. <laughs> and I, I do have a, a few students who have, which is beautiful. And I get to watch them grow yeah. in their adult, like as they leave school and become, and some of them are mature students as mm-hmm. well. But um, as they go on into whatever's next for them, I get to watch that, which is really cool, mm-hmm. you know? And even like I have a student that I tutored when I, before I went back to Trent yeah. for my master's before. So I'm going to say, He's what? He's probably 23 or 24 now. Um, maybe 25. So maybe when he was like seven. Oh, eight, just I tutored baby. him in reading. And when he, when he graduated college, he messaged me and I was mm. like, that's the best thing. He's like, yeah. because you taught me to read. You helped me to figure out how I could learn to read. Oh. Right. I was able to be successful yeah. in college. I'm like, that's the reason yeah. I teach right there. Yeah, that that's why all so of us happy. teach, right? Yeah. I think, I think, I don't know for yeah, sure, but know. I just feel like that. Yeah. That's why like we that's teach. that's a pretty common, you know, yeah. it's like those moments is mm-hmm. the reason, you know? Wow. Yeah. And so, so thank you so much for having me in thank here and just you. talking and like whatever um, this becomes, I don't know. We will have you back. Yeah, like you're yeah, gonna sometime. be a feature, so don't prepare <laughs> for Nikki. Um, but that was amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was great. Every time. <laughs> Every time. That was that so was great. great. Um, no, Nikki was my teacher, and she was the, can, from day one. I was like, I like you. She had the best vibes. Good vibes. She's so funny and just like really cares. And one thing I really liked, and we talked about it in the end, was like she came on. She went. It was all Zoom, so it was mm-hmm. hard. I just, like, after knew, found out who she was, and we're both from this area. But, yeah, she came on, and she said, like, you know, you need to check in with yourself, make sure you're okay. And then, like, every day, every time we had class, like, once a week, she'd be like, is everyone okay? Just checking in. And I feel like more teachers need to do that. I love that. Yeah, because sometimes I'm not okay. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. yeah. A lot of the time, I'm not okay. Most of the time, I'm not okay. But gonna be okay yeah but we learned a lot we got a lot of resources Mm -hmm. that we will share in the show notes absolutely and i feel like i definitely learned so much i was i think she just has so much to teach i would totally take her class like just her class yeah just her class like i would just love that no i wonder what she taught i only knew it like at fleming she taught me indigenous consultation but i'm sure at other because she taught at trent and fleming and loyalist well, so, this is round two, chats. Come back, Nikki. We want you back. Uh, do we have any updates? About what? I don't know. Anything like to tell people about the podcast. No. Not really. It's like back to school. Yeah, back to school's happening. My kid's uh-huh. in high school. Ew. Her birthday's coming up. Your birthday's your coming Your birthday's up. coming what up. What is your birthday? Oh, yeah, you're after me. And Emily's birthday's almost here. Yeah. No, no really pod updates, but I want to know what's going on in our listeners' lives, so. Yeah, like, if there's anything cool that's happening, yeah. I want I want to know what the good vibes are from everybody else. Yeah, send us your good vibes, because we all need those. Thank you for getting us to 500 downloads. That is, like, I'm flattered. I'm so flattered, because we're not that interesting, but I think they like our sadness. 
<laughs> it's just relatable. It's relatable. Yeah, I got told we're. It's relate. Like the chaos is a little bit relatable. Maybe like, not like cool. to the extent of the chaos, but yeah, no, but like it's a good time. Not having everything put together is we're relatable. not put together. And I was like, that's great. I feel that. I like it. Live, love, laugh, cry. <laughs> you know, that needs to be like one of those signs that you put in like your house. It's like live, love, laugh. But cry a lot. And then cry. When I first, when I started like getting diagnosed with anxiety, everyone gave me those fucking things that said like live, love, laugh or keep calm and carry on. And oh, I'm God. like, guess what? I can't keep calm and carry on because my brain wants to explode. <laughs> yep. And I'm going to go eat my lunch. So that's probably a good idea. That's cool. Well, that was great. Great week, everyone. We'll, we'll, you'll hear us again next Wednesday. Bye-bye. That was chaos and fun.